I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello. I'm Ed Byrne, and as my kids get older and the march of time pushes me ever closer to the inevitability of retirement, I've decided I'm in the market for a new hobby. But I seek guidance. So every week, I'll be meeting up with one of my celebrity chums, trying out their favourite pastime, and then interrogating them about it to see if it's for me. And just to make sure I fully divorce myself from the decision-making process, I will also be starting and finishing every episode with a chat with my wife, Claire, in order to fully examine whether or not said hobby is a good fit. This is Ed Byrne Needs a Hobby. Who is it today? Adam Hills. Ah, oh, lovely Adam. Yes, unfortunately this is the one where I'm not going to be doing the thing with him because he's just too busy. <laughs> he doesn't have time to take me to his club because what we're going to be talking about is rugby league. Well, to be fair, it's probably better for Adam that you don't get involved <laughs> that we in just trying chat. to play. That you talk about it. You're probably better at talking about it than playing rugby, do you think? Yeah, yeah. And also his team are in Warrington, so that's a bit of a hike, Yeah. to be fair. He specifically is involved in the Physical Disability Rugby League. He was at the forefront of it in Australia. He pretty much imported it to, to the UK. It was part of why he got his... MBE as being ambassador for disability in sport. So it's, it'll, at the very least, it'll be an interesting conversation because I've known Adam a long time. Yeah. And he's very passionate about it. Yeah. But yes, Warrington Wolves. And we, we, originally, when we, when, we, we, when we hatched the plan, me and Adam, I was going to go and I was going to meet the, the, the team and we were going to, you know, drills and all that kind of carry on was all going to happen. But he is just too busy. Too busy. <laughs> that, you- I think that was before he was an MBE that we, 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 made, we hatched that plan. Yeah, I bet now he's it, I landed bet gentry. Now I have to. Now. I have to call him sir. I have Do to call have to him bow? my liege and things Do you like have to that. Bow yeah. When you meet him, I think I have to carry any any bags he might have. I have to, you know, shoulder the weight of what? them. <laughs> yes, you should address him as your grace at all times. I think I prefer my liege. My liege. Mm. Mm. 
thank you for being here. Thank well, you for doing this. Let's say here. It's your agent's offices. You were here anyway for a meeting. But thank you for finding the time. I know you're mad busy. You're doing the publicity for your children's book as well at the I moment, yeah. which is called... It's called Rockstar Detectives Murder at the Movies. And I just forgot how much publicity you have to do for very little gain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say, as a stand-up comic, you mm. know what it's like. You do loads of publicity and then people come to your shows and yeah. you have a lovely show and mm. you think, well, that all worked. And the money, you know, a good proportion of the money from the ticket sales goes in your pocket. Exactly. Mm. Um, whereas with a book, and in particular a kid's book, you do a load of publicity and then the book's released and then you don't hear anything mm. because it takes people a while to read a book. Yeah. No one's going to... Yes, there isn't that immediate feedback that stand-ups crave. Yes. Not only that, and I know this from friends who I've sent a book to, and they're like, oh, you know, my son's so excited to read it. He's halfway through another book, so he's going to finish ah, that one yeah. first. And like, oh, of course, that's yeah. what people do. And does, does your son know the author of that book <laughs> that he's halfway through? Did, uh, did the author of that book buy your son anything for his last birthday? <laughs> Are you getting uh, any of that backlash for being a celebrity writing a children's book? Because I, I, I am noticing that I've never written a book. Mm. Uh, I, but I'm, I am noticing a lot. I follow a lot of authors as well, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of rumblings about. I haven't seen anything about you, I have to admit, but I'm seeing a lot of rumblings about a certain celebrity children's author and just being a celebrity and, and how it's, it edges, you know, re, real in inverted commas authors out. Have you, are you getting any I've of read, that? I've read a few Amazon reviews that start with, I was reticent to read this because I thought, here we go, another mm. yeah. celebrity getting into the children's market. And look, to be fair, publishers know that comedians know how to tell a story with mm-hmm. childish minds, so they come looking for it. I, I think I think once the second book came out, people were like, oh, okay, you're not just doing this as a one-off, you're kind of mm-hmm. serious, you've got a few in you. Right. So there'll be a series, and I mean, who knows, but... Well, good luck with that. I feel like we've absolutely hammered the plug on that. So that. So, were you sporty as a child? Obviously, you've talked extensively about the fact that you have, uh, you know, a disability. You've only got the one foot, but yeah. you strike me as someone who who had a workaround for that very early on and were sporty, were you? I think yes, and I think I was lucky in that the the disability that I've got, even other disabled people, kind of go, that's nah, not a real disability. <laughs> like we had, we had a the first disabled uh, astronaut has been chosen. He hasn't got up yet. We had him on the last leg. Mm. And I was comparing my prosthetic to his, and he went, yeah, but you're a part-timer. <laughs> wow, that is <laughs> harsh. So I was lucky that it didn't restrict me a lot. I could run, I could kind of, you know, do most of the things that the other kids could do. There was no pain or anything. So, yeah, from a young age, uh, I guess rugby league. Like, yeah. When I was three days old, my dad brought a red and green toy South Sydney Rabbitohs rugby league team mascot into the hospital for me. Mm-hmm. So from three days old, it was all about South Sydney. Okay. And I grew up wanting to play. And play so from three days old, yeah. you came out with only the one foot and your dad straight away was pushing <laughs> sport on you. That seems, that seems slightly callous to me. So here's something you'll never excel at. <laughs> I know, I'm not even sure that we thought that far ahead. I, he probably bought us before you came out. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I wonder whether there was a bit of, oh, well, I suppose I've got to give it to him. <laughs> did, he, did he toy with the idea of chopping a foot off us? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> it never, but it never occurred to me. Do you know what? It, it didn't occur to me that I was that I should be disabled or mm-hmm. I should, and I never used I'm, I've joked about it on stage I never used the word disabled when I was a kid I would just do everything I would, I'd play you know cricket with the other kids on the street so were you able to get into a prosthesis pretty straight away then 
when I started walking, I was able to walk on on what I had as a foot. So I still have an ankle joint. I still have a little. Okay, got you. Yeah, yeah. I, I can I can wait. Oh, you really are part time, aren't you? No, exactly. <laughs> 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 Virtually. <laughs> so, um, so I can hobble straight away, and then I, I guess I just wore a little boot at first. Yeah. Basically, the only reason I wear a prosthetic is really for height differential. Yeah. Otherwise, my back will be naked. Right, yeah. So, in a weird way, I probably walk a little better without the prosthetic mm. because I can use my ankle as I walk. See, my kid has what's called Severs disease. He's mad into rugby. He loves rugby. Yeah. And he's only just been able to start doing it again now. It's like a five mil difference in, in his length of his legs and it's all to do with the tendons your bones growing too fast and the tendons pulling on the plates that haven't fused in the foot and it gives excruciating pain and it just he can't do it it's, it's heartbreaking because he's just not allowed he can cycle and that's about it you know but you weren't in pain as so you were just you were just a bit bockety the only thing that really affected me and it was actually playing football rather than rugby league was so on the on the front of my little stump because it was a birth deformity that actually had a couple of toes that would stick out the top of it, not the front, but the top. And so there was a hole in the front of my prosthetic where those toes would stick out mm-hmm. and just flop around. And I was playing football at school and one of the kids went to kick the ball, missed and actually connected with those little toes. Right. And almost kicked them off, they had them stitched. And the doctors at the time went, maybe you should have those removed because they're just getting in the way. And I was like, I think I was 14. I was like, no, that's part of me. I don't mm-hmm. want to lose them. And then I got to 18 and I was going to university and meeting new people with this big thing sticking out the front of my foot and I went actually yeah maybe now is the time to take them off right so I never if anything I'd heard other people because the prosthetic is so hard that if they tackled it yeah <laughs> they'd come off and so as you say your dad gave you a Sydney Rabbitoh mm-hmm. mascot early on so with that I, I think of Aussie rules football as being the big thing in Australia I know rugby is obviously also massive yeah. but what was the reason what was the, what was the reason why you went for one and not the other so the interesting thing about rugby league in Australia as opposed to rugby union and Aussie rules football <clears throat> is rugby league is is more of a New South Wales sport so Sydney if you grew up okay. in Sydney especially when I did in the 70s it was all rugby league Sydney was rugby league mm-hmm. when I grew up Melbourne was Aussie rules mm-hmm. And then gradually, now Sydney has a couple of Aussie rules teams and Melbourne has a rugby league team. But still, if you're in, if you're in Melbourne and you read the paper and you want to see some rugby league news, it's mm-hmm. tiny and it's five pages from the back. And in Sydney, the back page is all about the rugby league and there might be a bit of Aussie rules. So for me, rugby league was the big sport in town. Right. And I find a lot of the time, the thing that can be off-putting about British football is the the rivalry and the, the violence yes, and things like yes. that. And, and people tend to be, you know, even... You know, when England plays Ireland and things like that, there tends to be trouble. Yet, when England play Ireland at rugby, everybody goes out and drinks in the same bars afterwards. Is yeah. there a similar difference between league and union rugby? I'm just wondering, when, when it comes to that aspect of, of camaraderie, shall we say? Yeah, it's the same in Australia, union league and Aussie rules. I remember taking a whole bunch of comedians during the Melbourne Comedy Festival to an Aussie rules game. Mm. And they were sitting around, kind of going, so... Hang on, where's the home and away fans? Right, yeah. Oh no, they all sit together. And then when we left, all the fans were milling around, and they they it just, they couldn't get their heads around the fact that everyone just left at the same time. So where's your gang like violence then? Is that the cricket? <laughs> uh, I think it still happens at soccer. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, only a month or so ago, there was an, a pitch invasion at a soccer game in Australia, and the goal a goalkeeper was like had a garbage bin thrown at his head. <laughs> And, and left the field blood pouring from his face. So I don't know why soccer... Specific, actually, my theory is this, is that rugby and Aussie rules mm-hmm. and rugby union, rugby league are exciting games. There's lots of scoring, there's lots of 
proper tackles and lots of proper hits. You get it out of your system. Soccer is so... Dull. <laughs> you, know, you turn up going, come on! And you sit there for like 90 minutes and it's entirely possible at the end of 90 minutes nothing has happened. Mm. And you go, I've got to get this out of my system somehow. <laughs> I think it's the sport. I blame the sport. Oh, no, you, you could be right. I, I'm not qualified to comment. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. In in Britain, when we say rugby, we mean rugby union, right? Pretty Mainly, much. Mainly, it's very yeah. confusing here. Yeah. So, a brief history of, and this explains why of, of rugby league, is that up until 1895, it was all union. Everyone played rugby union, mm-hmm. and it was strictly amateur. Those were the rules. You couldn't be paid for it. Yeah. And then, which was fine for the for the posh boys down south, but the northern working men were like, well, I have to take time off work to do this. Is the way of being compensated. And it, the, even saying, well, can my work, some, some um, uh, you know, factories would go, well, we'll pay for two hours. We'll pay you for two hours while you go and play, you know, rugby league. Mm. And the powers that be said, no, 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 this has to be strictly amateur. Right. If these are the rules. It has to be strictly amateur. And they were like, okay, well, what if someone gets injured because then they can't go to work? Can we at least compensate them? Like, no. This no. is in the 80s you're talking this about. No, no, 1890s. Okay, okay, eight, the 80s, the 80s, the 90s. Because I think this sounds like a very old-fashioned <laughs> attitude. Yeah, the same people who were okay with Boy George. Yeah. Had a problem with him. No, he simply can't pay for it. This sounds very anachronistic. Okay. And it kind of became a class struggle because the, yeah. the upper classes were like, no, this has to be amateur. And the working classes were like, we can't afford... Can we at okay. least charge people to come to the game? So union then became the game for gentlemen amateurs. Yes. And league became the league game. broke away and said, right, we're going to form our own competition and we're going to pay the players and we're going to change the rules to make it more exciting so that people come and watch it so that we can charge them at the door. Mm. And so then teams like Leeds and Warrington and Wakefield formed Rugby League mm-hmm. in 1895. And so that's why there is a real divide. And that's why I think rugby league it's struggles to be accepted down south. But rugby, as in international rugby, so that's rugby union. In the yes, but then last year there was a rugby league World Cup as well. But it's not. You forgive me. It's just growing up in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. You know, being Irish, rugby's ne- was never. I know we have a you know amazing rugby team and stuff like that. I, I do remember us winning the triple crown when I was young. But it's just it was, it's never been as big a, a thing. You know, no. we're like because I, I asked, I even do a joke. In my show about fantasizing about rugby tackling the priest when I was an altar boy, right. and the joke is about impulsivity and then, but how you know it would have been a terrible thing had I actually done it, standing on the altar and rugby tackled the priest because our names would have been mud because rugby is a Protestant sport, <laughs> and and it's true you know you yeah. only kids who entered like posh schools did rugby when I was of any flavor when I was growing up. So you forgive my right. ignorance. Yes, yeah, so the rugby league was very, very working class. Mm. Um, I mean, there was an Irish rugby league team at the World Cup last year, mm. but it included people like Richie Myler, who plays for Leeds, Luke Keary, who plays for the Sydney Roosters. So you know, they were kind of brought from all over the world with a bit of Irish heritage. For people who don't know, and I'm not implying that I don't know, <laughs> but for people who don't know, what are, what are the main differences between rugby league and rugby union? I think the main difference that makes rugby league faster and made it more appealing to fans was in rugby union, you can be tackled as many times as it takes until you drop the ball. It could be 20, 30 times, Mm -hmm. which means there's no incentive for exciting play. You can just do that thing where you grab it, you run a metre, you get tackled, you release the ball. You grab it, you run a metre, you get tackled. And that can go for a while. Mm -hmm. In rugby league, 
after you've been tackled six times, you give the ball to the other team. All right, so like a technical knockout almost. Yeah, yeah. so you've got to do something with the ball. And on the fifth tackle, usually what happens in rugby league is you kick it to the other team. You get it as far down the other end as possible. So they start their set of six tackles from right down there. So it creates more attacking play, basically. That's the main rule. There are other little rules, but I would say that's the main difference. Yeah, there's more incentive in rugby league to to play an attacking game. Right. Do they do rugby league in New Zealand much? Yes. Is it as big there as it is in Australia, like? Is it there? Yes. It's not as big as Rugby Union. The All Blacks will still okay, right, be so, the right. national religion. But <clears throat> so for the Rugby League World Cup last year, I mean, it's, it's usually Australia, England and New Zealand are the top three teams. But recently, Samoa and Tonga have got really strong teams. So the final last year was Australia versus Samoa. But in the semis, it was also England and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And it, so for you, it's not about the, the difference in the rules of the game as such. It's not about the fact that you know, oh, I like it because the team's bigger. You can have more substitutions or any of that kind of carry on. See, I have done some reading. Um, it's more to do with just that's what was played in Australia. It's what was played in Australia, but it's also what bonded myself and my dad. Right. So we would always we, we would go to games together, and and we we didn't live in the local area from the South Sydney Rabbitohs because that's where he grew up. But then you know moved mm-hmm. out to the suburbs, so we would watch the games together. And I played like I played at school. Mm-hmm. I played touch rugby at the primary school, and then I played rugby league for a couple of years at high school. But got to about I reckon thirteen and fourteen, I realised okay, I don't think I can keep up with the other kids, and also no one wants to tackle the rock hard prosthetic. Yeah. Now that I've discovered disability rugby league, I've realised mm. that for a lot of people who are born with disabilities, that was also about the age that they mm. fell away from it. That's that's the point where you kind of go, maybe this isn't the sport for me. Anymore. Right. Also, alongside all that, I should point out, I did play tennis. My parents encouraged me to play tennis, and I ended up becoming a tennis coach, and I played to the best of my ability. I was never going to go professional, so. I played as much tennis as I could, but there was always this unfulfilled rugby league dream in the back mm. of my mind. I only realised this recently that you studied sports journalism. You were going to be a sports journalist. Is that not the I was going to be a sports journalist. Yeah. That was my plan, yeah. Yeah, because some people would say, oh, well, he really lucked out with the whole Paralympics thing because he's just got the, you know, the one foot, so that qualifies me <laughs> to talk about the Paralympics. But no, you studied to be a sports journalist. Like The idea of being a commentator, etc., on sport yeah. was something you were originally going to do. As was Josh Whittacombe, as was Alex Brooker. Right. So, and it wasn't until... I don't know, probably after the Paralympics that we were all talking and realised, oh, we all actually studied to be sports journalists. Yeah. So it kind of made sense that we all ended up doing the last leg and doing, you know, Paralympics. Is there something sweet about that, about about returning to that aspect of your life, as it were? Well, absolutely, because it's gone full circle, because not only the Paralympics, through playing Disability Rugby League, mm. Channel 4 then asked me to host their rugby league coverage because they got the rights last year. So I now, you know, the, the, the 15-year-old who wanted to host rugby league on TV mm. has taken the longest route <laughs> via stand-up comedy, <laughs> um, TV comedy, all the way back to hosting rugby league. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally with this podcast, what I do is I try and do the sport that, or, or whatever the hobby is. I try and do it with the person just to get a flavor of it. So then I can really consider whether or not it's something I want to take up. I feel the fact that we haven't been able to do that goes in rugby's favor. Because I feel <laughs> had we actually done anything, done a few drills and anything like that, had you tackled me, I, it would have just put me off before I even gave you the chance to, well, to, this, to seduce me to the side of rugby. The disability rugby league that I found. And I found this in 2017, someone tweeted me to say, did you know the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the team that I grew up supporting, had a disability well, rugby Sorry, well, let's, let's get into this. Because yeah. was, was physical disability rugby league already a thing in, in Australia? You weren't was, instrumental I, in the founding I of that. I didn't know about this. Right. Someone tweeted me about it. So I, next time I was back in Australia, I called up the guy from the South Sydney Rabbitohs, a guy called George Tonner, who turns out was a former Paralympian mm-hmm. that wanted to invent a way that people with disabilities could play rugby league. So he and a guy called Dave Smith came up with these rules. And, they, and that was when? About 2010, maybe 2010. Okay, so pretty recent. Yeah, right. yeah. So I called them up and said, look, you know, can I help? Can I support? And I'd love to play. And he said, well, you live in London. That's going to be kind of tricky. That is, yeah. Uh, he said, I've just been contacted by the Warrington Wolves. They want to set up England's first disability rugby league team. I'll give you their number. So as soon as I got back, and there's a thing about... I'm not sure what you're like, but as a comedian or as someone on telly, you get offered lots of different opportunities to do lots of different stuff. And nine times out of ten, I'm like, nah, I'm good. But I find if I, if I really want to do something, I'll find a way to do it. I'm doing something for Karen Gorm's Chamber of Commerce. Come <laughs> Sincerely, to do with responsible use of the Karen Gorm's National Park. So, yeah. As a hill walker, it's, it's my it's my thing. Yeah, you yes, do. You get you get asked to do stuff like yeah, that. When you yeah. find the things that you really want to do. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So I then started going up to Warrington to try and help. My first thought was I'll help publicise, and then I pulled on some boots and had a training run. Warrington doesn't seem that handy, it's but not, is that? It's not are they all up there? Are all the rugby league teams up there? Is all that the size of it? Right but the thing about Warrington is it's a rugby league town. They don't really have a soccer team. Okay. There's no other big sport in town. Mm-hmm. There's a roundabout in the centre of town with a pair of rugby league goalposts in the middle of it. They, they live and bleed rugby league. And so the club has a foundation, the, the charitable arm of the club, and they do dance classes for the elderly. They do disability mm-hmm. soccer. They have a dementia-friendly cafe. They have all these things mm-hmm. outreach into the community. And they had never thought to do Disability Rugby League, which is what the club is there for. So I think the reason it happened in Warrington was the strength of this particular foundation that has a lot to do with the town. So it was the perfect place really for us to launch it. Mm -hmm. And then I went up there and we had a bit of a publicity day and then we, we formed a team. We didn't have another team. Yeah, that is always that. It's like that, that joke of uh, Baker Street is the first tube station, but what was the point of it until you had the second tube station? So, so yeah. Leeds, Leeds then heard about what we were doing. Okay. Like, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we'll form a team. And so the first game was uh, between Leeds and Warrington. Right. And then gradually Wakefield came on board and then Castleford and then bit by bit. And was all of this then documented in the documentary made for Channel 4 later? Yes, that was more, that documentary was mainly about Warrington. Yeah. So our plan was, I mean, my plan was, let's set up a match with the South Sydney Rabbitohs at the end of all this. Yeah. We'll take the Warrington team out to Australia Mm -hmm. and I'll play for South Sydney. Um, 
But of course, after training and playing with all these guys, I thought, I can't play against them, even if it is from my boys' sure. team. Yeah. And funnily enough, of all the people, I've kind of become friends with Russell Crowe, who owns the South Sydney Rabbit. Does Russell Crowe have a hobby that he might want to talk to me about on oh, my podcast? I would imagine. <laughs> music? Do you want to talk to him about music? I think he'd be very insulted if you accused him of having music as a hobby. <laughs> I think he would say, he would probably say, acting's his hobby and music is his, is his, is his job. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find out, though. And I think I was at a dinner with him, and I was saying to him, look, I don't know who to play for, like Warrington or South Sydney. And he said, if you pull on the South Sydney jersey, you've got to do it properly. He said, you've got to train with them. You've got to play with them. You can't just waltz in. May I just say that that, that Adam is inhabiting <laughs> Russell Crowe right now. He's, it's, it's frightening. He doesn't have the physical heft, but the intensity in his eyes, as he did his Russell Crowe impression, was something to behold. Oh, I think I feel like this is how you've managed to maintain your nicest guy in comedy persona because you can actually, if you want to, there's a darkness you can tap into that you just choose not to. This whole thing was just this whole thing was actually just an attempt to get to you, just to scratch <laughs> your surface. So anyway, so Russell Crowe so said, Russell, and, he's, and he was right, and this was what I was wrestling with. And then eventually he messaged me and he said, how about I sponsor your jersey so you can still play for Warrington, but you can have the rabbit on your chest, the South Sydney rabbit on your chest. That's a beautiful solution. It was such an elegant solution. And so we then made this documentary where we played all the teams over here Mm -hmm. and we we said, well, we have to go out to Australia as the having, being the best team in the UK. Yeah. Um, We lost our first match against Leeds in proper comedy fashion. Mm -hmm. And then eventually we kind of, we won the rest. We went out to Australia, we played the Rabbitohs. And I did the thing of, I ran out at the Olympic Stadium. It was before an actual Rabbitohs game. Mm-hmm. But I ran out for the Warrington Walls. And I had to listen to the South Sydney team song play. And I had to block it out of my head. And did people boo you? <laughs> I mean, you can't boo the Rabbitohs team. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, we did that, and that was what the first documentary was about. Right. I say the first one because then last year we managed to get Physical Disability Rugby League into the World Cup, mm-hmm. the Rugby League World Cup, and it was played in Warrington alongside the men's and the women's in the wheelchair. And so we followed all that with cameras and made a documentary about me playing for Australia and the formation of the England team as well. I did watch your speech at the Sports Journalism Awards. I, c- I couldn't watch the actual documentary and right. I just watched everything around it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I love this, just, I don't know if you remember, but there's a beautiful little dig at the end of, and thanks to Channel 4 for coming on at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> they did not see the value mm. in uh, a documentary about a physical disability rugby league. Mm. <laughs> Well, it would appear they still don't see the value in it because you still can't watch it on all four. And is it overstating it to say that that work that you did on that was part of the reason you were given the MBE? I assume so. yourself with that, but that I, was yeah. I don't know for sure, but it was yeah. Paralympic services and disability mm-hmm. awareness, and I, I would imagine that probably a lot of that had to do with the rugby league and the trying to put all these things together, or at least help to. And let me ask you on the, on the nuts and bolts of it, because I think this is one thing that people will wonder about. It's quite a wide range of physical disabilities that, that are on the teams. Well, yeah, so that's why I should have explained to you when I was saying you could come up and train with us. So that's the thing. You, there's everything. So mm. how do you cater for that? And we had to come up with a classification system for the World Cup, because originally, you know, people were turning up with, with 
say, no fingers on one hand. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, how much does that affect you? Well, it's hard to catch on that side. It's yeah. hard to balance. It's hard to tackle. There's people with, like me missing limbs, but ve- to various degrees. Above mm. knee, uh, actually, no above knee, mainly below knee. What else? Acquired brain injuries, spinal injuries, cerebral, cerebral palsy. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, it would be bad form to exploit any of those weaknesses. Clearly, you don't go, oh, tackle him on that side because he can't see out of that eye. Oh, that's exactly what you do. Oh, my God, that's just so brutal. Sean so Briscoe played with us <laughs> and coached England, and he played for England in the, in the National Rugby League team oh, 2009, I think. You know, top-class player. And he came down to coaching one night, or training one night and said, lads, you've got to look at the person in front of you and work out what their disability is and use it against them. Wow. And he was like, because they're going to do it to you. Yeah. So... And like I've, I've been talking about this on stage, but the next game, I, I ran at a guy who didn't have a left arm, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I've got to step him on that side, right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. He was kind of looking at me as, as we had this ten meters between God. us. Oh, you're not going to do me like that, are you, Hilsey? <laughs> and I totally did. And as I went past him on his non-arm side, I just heard him go, "Ah, shit." Yeah. But so, so you, literally, you have to do. That's that. what you got to do. You have to, and if you're, and I guess it's patronizing not to. That's the thing. Yeah. That is exactly it. So we played we played a friendly game as well as the big game against the Rabbitohs. We also played a friendly game in Australia and it was filmed. And one of our guys with cerebral palsy made a 10, 15-metre break and he was buzzing. He'd never made a 10-metre break before. But because it was filmed, he watched it back and he realised that a couple of the other players let him go. And he was fuming. Like, that was wor- That was the worst thing that could happen. And right, yeah. You know, anyone that I played against with a disability, don't go easy on me. Yeah, yeah, sure. But you also, and this is one thing we learned during the World Cup, there are certain people that you don't slam. You uh-huh. know what I mean? You, you look at some people coming at you, once you've played them a couple of times, you're like, I don't need to hit this guy as hard as humanly possible. Right. Because that's unfair. Mm-hmm. And so there were a few moments in the World Cup where we call it overzealous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on, you don't need to hit that guy that hard. Right. So there is a little bit of common sense involved in it as well. What disabilities allows you to be on the team and yeah. what mix? How do you decide on things like that and what is considered a disability? We did that for the World Cup. So right. we had to classify people in A's, B's and C's category. Right. C's is most restricted physically, B's in the middle, A's least. So I qualified as an A. And mm-hmm. we had to do physical testing, balance, running, catching, all of that kind of stuff. And look, there was some contention because mm-hmm. then you turn up and it, it's the same as the Paralympics. You turn up and you're like, that guy's not a C. How is that guy a C? I'm more mm-hmm. disabled than him and I'm an A. This is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is. And then you, I think the rule was there are 11 players, so there had to be four Cs, four Bs and three As. Right. And you had to wear different coloured socks and the referees had to be counting. And then, like for instance, at the World Cup, Wales beat New Zealand, but they lost the points because they had too many As on the pitch right. throughout the game. And they were like, okay, well, that's... So they had to be ducked. It's such a grey area. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to police. And it's really hard to get right. And on top of all that, you've also got two red shorts players. Because if you've got a spinal injury or an acquired brain injury, you can't be tackled. Okay. It's dangerous. It's physically dangerous. So you wear red shorts, which means no one's allowed to tackle you. And you don't have to tackle anyone else. You can just tag them. But, you know, I made the mistake in the middle of the game tackling a red shorts player. So the heat of the moment, he was Welsh, so he's wearing a red shirt mm. and red shorts. And as I tackled him, my face was buried into his shorts. And, I, and you realised the oh, colour oh, of them. Oh, man, these are red. So I got up straight away and went, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry, and, like, that's a penalty. Right. So my point was, if you did want to come and train with us, mm-hmm. he could play red shorts. For the <laughs> <laughs> that would be fair. Which is... Absolutely fair. Yeah. Because like, I did, I, I mean, I saw the documentary, the, the Take His Legs. I saw you get absolutely wiped, knocked out, 
cold. Yeah. Who did that to you? Do you know who actually knocked you out? While making a tackle. I see. You so threw was, your head at somebody's legs and knocked yourself out. No, what it was was they'd made a break on the other side of the pitch, and I was running back in case they came over my side, which they did. As the guy caught it, and I'll, I'll admit two things. As he caught it, I thought, right, I've got to stop him, and I've got to wrap the ball up so that he can't pass mm-hmm. it. So I wrapped my arms around that, and then I thought, I wasn't sure. I thought he was, I'll be honest, less disabled than he was. So I thought, we can just roll to the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't need to thump him. It was bigger than I realised, and as we rolled, he turned, so I landed on my back, and he landed straight on my face. Like, right. his whole force hit my head, which then went into the into the ground mm-hmm. so I like my next memory was people saying my name and me waking up from a dream were you concussed? oh yeah I was yeah. I was unconscious for like two and a half minutes yeah and then I couldn't work out why people were saying my name and then we walked off because you forgot you were a celebrity as well <laughs> it was like waking up from a dream and people calling you saying Ed Ed mm. and you're like what what why, why are you waking me up right now and then we walked off the pitch and they did the usual questions of, okay, do you know where you are? And I went, uh, oh, I'm playing rugby. And they said, okay, what year is it? And I had to look and go. <laughs> I said, do you know what month it is? No. And of course, the really tricky one is, do you know who the Prime Minister is? Because that, that these days is a really hard one. <laughs> yeah, if you answer that confidently, yeah. then you're concussed. <laughs> so it was... I, I did that thing. I had no memory. And they were saying, do you remember making it? You, you saved a try. Do you remember it? And I was like, no. And it was only when I watched the video back that I went, oh, my God, that tackle? That's mm. the one that wiped me out. So, to be honest, it was poor tackle technique. Mm. But it also happens. You were quite hard on yourself because mm. you were technically, your, your your missus was away and you were responsible. And obviously, there was a childminder while you were at the rugby. Yeah. But you were supposed to be looking after your kids that evening. Which is hard to do, I think, when you're concussed. <laughs> so, it, I mean, they wanted to... They were trying to keep me in hospital overnight. And one of the, one of the coaches was going, no, he's got to get home to his kids. He's mm. got to get home. So they kind of rushed me out. And I remember them walking across Leeds railway station, still in full kit. Yeah. Because I'd gone from the game to the hospital to the station. Still with my boots on. I hadn't even taken my boots off yet. Concussed. Want to die with my boots on. <laughs> <laughs> and hearing four guys walking behind me going... Which is the chant if you're not from Warrington. Uh, oh, wanky, 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 Warrington. <laughs> Jesus. I, I was unconscious like two hours ago. <laughs> that is, that's not a sophisticated chant. <laughs> Warrington, the Warrington fans sing, worry, 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 Warrington. But still, no, it's not a sophisticated no. chant at all. Since, since starting to play rugby league, I said to my manager... Okay, firstly it was, we train on a Tuesday, so don't book me any gigs on a Tuesday. Right. And so things would come in, quite big charity events, and i go, it's Tuesday. Like I, I was, I was <laughs> invited to Prince Charles's 70th birthday at Buckingham Palace. It was a Tuesday night and we had training. And I was like, I'd, to be honest, I'd rather train. I'd rather mm-hmm. do rugby training um, for an hour. So I do that once a week now. We play once a month. My comedy notebook in the back of it is rugby league set plays now. Right. Because that has become my session. That's and I think, taken over. Even my manager went, go, go and do it. Go and do it for a while. Get your brain onto something else. You know, you'll come back to comedy. And I will, but I'll come back refreshed. Mm. Not like it's a job. Right. I would stop having stand-up dreams and I was having rugby dreams. I would dream about training. I would dream about playing. When I played at the World Cup, and this was, I think this was the ultimate, 
I played at the World Cup and the second game we played against Wales and it was the best game I felt like it was the best game I've ever played and the coaches afterwards were like that is genuinely the best game you've ever played you were amazing mm. you're the best player on the team I couldn't get to sleep that night I was mm. until like 2 in the morning buzzing thinking about it and a friend of mine went you used to have that about comedy right? <laughs> So it's overtaken that passion, you would say, at the moment. I, I, yeah, and look, it, it, not forever. I think, mm. I think the thing with rugby league is I know there's a time limit on it, physically. Mm. Like, there's only so much longer I can keep playing it. Um, and I have started recently going back to stand-up and loving it. And well, and of course, you're still doing the last leg, which... Absolutely, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I'm still doing charity gigs whenever I can. And, but it, it's just really good, I think, as a comedian to have something else. Like Ross Noble. You've left yourself, we've left ourselves open to a heckle there, though, haven't we? It's like, well, you're still doing the last leg. Yeah, well, that's not comedy. And somebody <laughs> is going to say that. That's, right. We got there before you. Anybody wanted to put that in the comment section? <laughs> I remember being on tour at the same time as Ross Noble, and we mm. caught up, and he went, I'm going, uh, I'm going go-kart racing today. Do you want to come? <laughs> yeah, sure. And he said, every day I do something different so that I get to my mind out of comedy. And mm. when I get back on stage, I'm kind of coming back to a refresh. Yeah. And like, you, you've got hill walking. Hill walking. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen all your pictures of hill walking, and I'm mm. like, I get that. Yeah. I had chats with Phil Jubitus, who's now, I think he did an art degree, and he's yeah. now exhibiting art. And it was just, it's not that I don't like comedy. I just, my brain needs to go somewhere else for a little while, mm-hmm. and I'll definitely come back. Yeah, well, I, I, can, I can appreciate that. I'm still, as I say, I'm open to the idea of taking these things up as hobbies. Pitch me rugby league as a hobby, potentially. Okay, like it's the exercise for a start. You know, we're, we're straight away you, you've put me off. <laughs> <laughs> it's the buzz of knowing that you're physically quite fit. But our captain also did a degree in uh, sports and mental health. And he said that you release something like seven times as many endorphins when you train with a team mm. as when you exercise on your own. That's because with a, with a team, you've got people around you that you have to coordinate with and that you have to rely on. And like these guys are my mates for life now, on and off the pitch. If one of us is struggling, then we'll call each other up and we'll help each other through it. Because especially with rugby league you really are putting your body on the line. Like, if you're standing on the try line and they're running at you and you're next to me, I've got to, I've got to put my body in the way, otherwise you're going to get smashed. Mm. And sometimes we both have to do it together. We both have to go into a tackle and go, oh, this is going to hurt, but this is what we've got to do. So you end up forming a real strong bond. Actually, the best way I can picture to you is this, because it's not even about the sport, it's about the bond and... This is why I'm a big advocate for disability rugby league because disability sports allows people with a disability to play sport. Mm -hmm. Disability rugby league allows people with a disability to feel what it's like to be part of a team. And that's a big thing that you don't normally get with a disability. I can't slag that off, can I? I can't really have a go at that. (laughs) So I was hosting Stand Up to Cancer a few years back Uh and the producers had said, well, what if we get some members of your team down and we'll put some tackle bags up that say SU2C, Stand Up to Cancer, and they can each, we'll just make a physical thing where everyone runs forward and tackles one of the bags and you can mm. tackle one. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. So I had Adam Vincent, who writes with me on the last leg, was helping me write Stand Up to Cancer. And we'd gone through a day of rehearsal and we'd do this bit and this bit and this bit. And then there was a moment where we went, right, let's rehearse the rugby bit. And the four lads walked out because they'd come down from Warrington and I hadn't seen them. Hugs all round, chat, 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 banter, banter. Okay, let's do this. And we did it and we rehearsed it. And afterwards, Adam, who's also a stand-up comic, mm. just went, Oh, mate, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you 
jealousy. You've got a group of blokes that you can be like that with. It's not about work. Mm. It's not about television. It's not about... Not about being funny. Not about who's... Yeah. yeah. It's just about being yourself with a group of mates that you've got a really tight bond with. I'm really jealous of that. And that's what, for me, rugby league is about. Having that. I get that with my dogging group. <laughs> <laughs> okay so what did you learn from adam he insisted that i called him my liege and he wouldn't let me look him in the eye he had pages all around him that sounded trumpets when he entered the room it was all very uncomfortable oh quite right he's got his own coat of arms now and everything it's wild good for him no we had a good chance it was great considering i didn't as i say get to do the thing with him the interview was really good. In fact, he even said at the end of it, you're very good at this. So that was nice. That is nice. <laughs> and actually, were you quite pleased that you didn't have to do it? Because I bet you might have got injured or something. Yeah. I would have ended up qualified for disability rugby by the end of it. I'm, I'm pretty sure. The thing that surprised me most when we were chatting about it was there's some, some people you're just not allowed to tackle, but... All of the rest of it, like, if somebody's got one arm, like... They go hard at them. Yeah, that, and that's the side you attack them from. Or if somebody's got one eye. Oh, so like you if see it as the weakness and you go for yeah, it. Yeah, and they go, they totally exploit each other's disabilities in a way that you would think is quite mercenary. But they, yeah, they absolutely go for it. That was the thing that startled me most, I think. But then you'd have to concentrate, wouldn't you? Make sure you weren't tackling the wrong person. But yeah, that would be exactly the thing if I'd ended up doing it, I would have just... Well, you wouldn't have listened at the beginning and said, don't, leave number eight alone, don't touch him. And you'd have gone, oh, he looks a bit weedy. I might be able to take him because I'm not very strong. Perhaps I'll be able to tackle him and then you'd have run into him. And... Yes, so it is probably just as well. So um, did you talk to him about why it was league and not union? I did, yeah. Yeah, explained it. And it just went in my ears and fell out my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a hobby for you. Yeah, I don't think you could concentrate for long enough in a match. Well, you would never learn the rules. <laughs> I think there's quite a lot of rules in league, aren't there? There are in union, so I bet there's, I bet there's even more in league because there's more players. No, I'm not. You have a kickabout with Adam, though, at some point. Can you kick a rugby ball? When you say that, it's like that's a question I would ask. Can you kick a rugby ball? Can one kick? Like, I don't even know that much. I don't you punch rugby balls? You throw them. You do kick them as well, don't you? You absolutely have kick kickers. Them. Yeah. I think what we what we what we can both establish is that rugby is not really for me. They could probably have me on the team. It's like utterly useless. (laughs) Ed Byrne Needs a Hobby was presented by me, Ed Byrne. Obviously. The music was by Clementine Arnold, and it was produced by Laura Grimshaw. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.